UX Podcast Episode 179. Welcome to UX Podcast. We are your hosts, James Royal Lawson and Pad Axbom. We're here in Stockholm, Sweden, and you're out there in 173 countries, from Norway to Liechtenstein. You may know today's guest, Jared Spool, from User Interface Engineering, the Spoolcast podcast, the Center Center UX Design School for Adults, and from his rants on Twitter. His occasional, no, his regular rants on Twitter. (laughs) Today, we talked to Jared about design leaders existing in a business environment, how poor we are at communicating our worth to organizations, the myth of five to eight usability participants, and the topic that we asked Jared to talk about, NPS, net promoter scores. I don't know the background to why you started talking about NPS on Twitter, but I, it really fast got into a big thing. I was seeing folks use it for wacky things, and it was getting wackier and wackier. Uh, there's a, a company that, that, that promotes that they send the would you recommend question to each of their employees on a fairly frequent basis, as if, you know... Rec- you know, would you recommend our company to you? <laughs> well, so this is, this is uh, internal. Inside, internal, yeah, in- please. Internal, okay. yeah. Would you recommend this to friends and colleagues to as a as a uh, employee engagement measure? And I'm like, mm-hmm. no. Uh, and then in another instance, I I discovered that that one of my clients was very proud of the fact that that all their executives get bonuses when the when the MPS score increases. Mm-hmm. And I'm like. No, 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 no. That's not a good idea at all. That's a really bad idea. And so it started with with one day just like running into this in multiple places, completely unrelated instances of people talking about NPS. And I'm and I was reminded of of uh, some recent traveling I did abroad where every time we turn a corner, we'd bump into a, a, a KFC. And I'm like, oh yeah, MPS is the KFC of, of satisfaction scores. It's everywhere. <laughs> People seem to, to, to just keep wanting to use it. And that immediately brought out the two factions. One was a group of, of people who are of like mind who believe that, that NPS is, is not a good measure. And a whole bunch of people who, you know, make their money off of helping companies implement their NPS scores and improve on them. And uh, uh, they got very upset that I was sticking my fingers in their rice bowl. I mean, I suppose you, you, you could, you've got to you understand, of course, that there is the need for um, a, a number that you track over time to gauge whether or not you're improving. Um, need? I'm not sure there's a need. There is a desire. Oh, desire. Okay. MPS is basically the, the business equivalent of astrology. And I don't think we have a need for astrology, but we definitely have a desire for it. We would love to have something. We would love to have something that would tell us what our future holds, right? What, what we could look at. It would be fantastic if astrology would help us figure out who our next mate would be 
that, you know, we would be able to, to roll, you know, open the book, look up our, our horoscope, and it would say, yes, the person you will meet today is the one you should marry. And that would be fantastic. And I'm sure that lots of people would, would really like to have this. But that's what MPS is. It basically is opening up a book and looking up your horoscope and having it tell you, your business is doing great today. <laughs> and you just walk around smiling. And it has nothing to do with reality. And then you then you did a a blog post uh, on Medium, a breakdown of all the reasons why NPS really isn't telling you anything that you can act on. Uh, so you actually that was more than having an opinion. That was actually breaking it down. So how how was the reaction to that as well? All the people who felt that it was justified, uh, uh, you know, who who felt who sort of looked at it and said, yes, these are the things that have been bothering me for a long time. Uh, about it and I just couldn't put my finger on it that was that was the sort of the the most of the reaction but there was a handful of people who were very upset saying well you just don't understand how it works you don't you don't understand how the astrology works I've less of a problem with 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 these figures magical figures being used to kind of gauge a direction what I have a big problem with though is when it's things like NPS are used for for research as a a substitute for for maybe other better forms of, of research that I think I think the article on Medium is, is highlighting that because when you break it down, it's it, it's hiding so many things and messing up so many things, and and the places in which you get presented with NPS questions can really mess up the the, the context of which the question is is being interpreted by the the other side. Yes, I, I think you're absolutely correct. I, I think that 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 I mean I'd argue that it's not very good at. at at showing you where you are either. I mean, it's, it's, it's complete fiction. It is, it is like a horoscope. You know, you open your horoscope and it says today's going to be a bad day and you spend all day really worrying about it. Mm. Where'd that come from? What was the, what was the basis of that other than an author thought, Hey, today's going to be the bad day. I'll write it down. If it's not good for research, what is it actually good for? Because if it doesn't tell you anything about your users and what your users are trying to do, what does it tell you about? It doesn't actually tell you about anything. That's the basic problem of it. It, it, is, uh, it is this thing that seems like a good idea. And when you read through, you know, the thing is that people read through their astrology charts and they go, oh my gosh, this is so my life. It knows my life. And that's what people are doing with MPS. They're looking at this and they're mapping these random changes of numbers into things that happen in the real world. And they say, look, it predicted that thing that happened yesterday. Mm. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday because it absolutely predicted it. So, so you say desire, we and, have a desire. What, what do we do about the desire to actually understand what we're trying to understand with MPS but aren't? I don't know. I think the opposite of trying to figure out who you're going to marry from, from astrology is to actually pay attention to the people you talk to and see if any of them are the ones you want to actually talk to, mm. uh, you know, spend your life with. I mean, I, 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 this notion that we have to replace it with something if we take it away mm. – I don't see anybody saying, well, if you take away my astrology charts, you got to replace it with something else. Otherwise, I will never find my mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand where that rule comes from. You know, it's like it's like you're taking this thing away. What thing? The thing doesn't exist. What you think you have is not what you have. So what am I taking away? I'm just pointing out that it actually doesn't work the way you think it works mm. and that... Frankly, nothing will. 
because you cannot summarize all of user experience or all of customer engagement or all of brand loyalty or whatever it is you think NPS measures. You cannot summarize it in a single two-digit number that goes from minus 100 to plus 100. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. I think I think you did, and correct me if I'm wrong. You actually did say, in, in a fun way, uh, a good uh, way to implement NPS. You've seen is when they have the NPS, and then they have a form asking about the experience, where people could share the experience. And if you have that, and then you take away the NPS and just have the form left, then you have a good NPS example. Yeah, I mean that's actually useful, but it would be better if you didn't ask the question at exactly. all, because it turns out. Asking the score question changes people's answers. I mean, yes. we, <clears throat> interesting. We actually have had an NPS um, question at the end of the, um, the our yearly podcast survey for for a few years. And I, I asked Per before we 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 uh, we didn't talk to you today. I said, "Well, why why did we actually add it?" And we actually couldn't really come up with a great answer other than a, you know, a few years ago we were looking more into sponsorship side of the of the podcast, um, and NPS scores is one of those things which appeared on on podcasts and, and a way of kind of saying, you know, beating your chest and saying how good you are because other ones, you, people don't talk about when they've got a low NPS score. They only talk about when they've got a high one. Mm. So it was a way that you could beat your own chest and say that, look, look, look how good we are. But what, what, we, what it dawned on us a couple of years ago, actually, mm. but I never took it away. It dawned on us that if you've bothered to go to our questionnaire and you've bothered to answer the questions we have, we don't have a lot of questions, but mm. there's, there's a fair few. If you've made it all the way through that, you are not going to be a detractor. You, you're someone who likes the show and listens to it. You, you know, people who don't like the show, they don't bother filling in the questionnaire. They stop listening and we have to find them a different way. So I promise that we're going to take it away. Yeah, uh, next this, time. This, this March <laughs> when we launch it, it will be gone. Right, and that's, that's really the, the, the problem. It is self-selecting and, I mean, that's just one of the big problems, I guess. Mm. It's self-selecting and highly biased, right? If you are... United Airlines, uh, your NPS score is going to be filled with all sorts of hate, mm. even on days when, when they're decent days, uh, even after experiences that are de reasonable experiences, because, you know, people love to tell United how much they hate them. And so uh, what can United get out of their NPS score? Not really much. And frankly... If United doesn't know what they need to know to fix their NPS score, there's no way that survey is going to help them. There's no lack of input to United Airlines on what is wrong with their, with their products and services and what they could do to help. I mean, frankly, they just have to talk to their frontline employees who are completely aware of what's going on. People tell me, the people who are very pro-MPS tell me, well, you know, for the first time we're getting our executives to think about our customers because they get this number that represents what our customers think. Except for the fact that, A, it doesn't actually represent what the customers think, and B, they're using it as an excuse to not go any further and un actually understand what the customers think. Oh, yeah, that's so true. I've heard that so many times that... We know our customers are satisfied. Just come in and help us. Whereas I want to start with the research. They tell me that they've already done the research and they show me these scores, uh, which really, really bothers me. So that's, I, that's an excellent example of what it's being used for. It's used for not doing the right thing. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that's really problematic. And then take it further. You've got companies that are setting up bonuses based on improving the score. Since I wrote that article, I've had dozens of people reach out to me and say, yeah, my company has OKRs that that, that uh, say that we have to get our score up by 5% or uh, uh, I my executive gets a bonus if we get our score to 60 this year. All of that is completely gameable, it's trivially gameable. Mm-hmm. So uh, with no policing at all. So all those people are going to get their bonuses unless they are just clueless about how to manipulate it. Uh, that doesn't say that the score actually improved the quality of the products. It just says that the, the executives are smart enough to... to, to to game the system, yeah. Yeah. so 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 this is the this is the true essence of the of the of the problem that we've we've got in many countries um, uh, hierarchical management systems that are that are number obsessed, and and those numbers are, are all that it's about, and there is no incentives and no interest in in anything genuine. Yeah, because genuine is messy and hard. You can't reduce it down to a single target. And just point the troops at it and say, march towards the target. So how does this happen? I'm thinking, and I I saw you also call something out on Twitter the other day. Uh, I was at a conference hearing people actually on stage referring to Jacob Nielsen's rule of everything has to be reachable in three clicks. Uh, Another popular popular rule of his. (laughs) You're going to set him off, so careful. (laughs) Is uh, you only need five users in your usability test. Uh, and there are things like this that live on and have lived on for 20 plus years now. Uh, and they're, they're still spoken of as truthisms. And it, it's really bothersome because it really, because like you say, doing the real work is messy and people aren't prepared to get into that as long as they can find these little tidbits of shortcuts like NPS and like, yes, t- test with five users and then I'm okay. Uh, why do we keep doing this, <laughs> fooling ourselves? Again, I think it goes back to that desire. Mm-hmm. That desire, you know, our, our, our lives are complicated enough right now. And we want this sort of feeling of success. And if we stick with these maxims, you know, these superstitions, they're really just superstitions. It's like throwing salt over your shoulder uh, to keep bad spirits away. Uh, we have no evidence that bad spirits exist, but why risk it? And that 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 feels like the answer you get. You know, the other day I I, I saw in a lecture that was given at at, at Harvard uh, the the you only need you know you can find eighty percent of the problems if you if you test with eight users or less mm. at, or fewer. Sorry, got to throw the salt over our shoulders to keep the bad spirits away. That was never a true statement. It was closest back in 1992 when, you know, Jim Lewis and Bob Veerzy first did it. But that was, you know, based on 1992 systems. You know, we were looking at applications that might have, you know, if you had 10,000 users, you were one of the biggest applications in the world. You were one of the top 10 applications that had ever been sold. Mm. And now we have websites that, that... tell us that they have billions of active users every day, and you're going to tell me that eight people are going to find 80% of the problems? <laughs> well, when you say it like that, Jerry. Well, if they're really, really big problems. <laughs> right? So if, so if we just scale mm. from 10,000 users to a billion, mm. which is a 
uh, six orders of magnitude, then our eight users should now be six orders of magnitude bigger. Uh, we, we're now looking, I don't know, what's eight to the sixth? Big. <laughs> or bigger. <laughs> you, could, you could get me to buy into the idea you need a minimum of 262,000 users to get to 80% of the problems. I might buy into that. <laughs> But this, the, the, the thing is, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to... Certainly, if you had 262,000 users in your study, uh, I think you would find a lot of really useful insights. So we can just go there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to try and defend the, the five to eight people in the usability test um, myth. But, um, you know, when you've, got, when you've got figures such as, I think, uh, e-consultancy came out of a report um, uh, a few weeks ago where they said that, 50% of respondents at companies um, didn't do any regular usability testing at all. So, so when you've got so many companies who are actually not bothering whatsoever, isn't it just a little bit kind of you know, comforting to, to get them started at all? Going from zero no. to, to something. Or do they, or is it best? No. You've got to go from zero to 260,000. I love that you asked this because I knew Jared would say no. <laughs> No, because you're giving them permission to stop at eight. Yeah. No. Is eight I'm, I'm giving, really that much I'm, I'm better? I'm giving them permission so, to so start it, with with five or eight. I'm not saying stop at that. Sure. They can, but 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 because you say you have permission to start with five or eight, it's like saying you're not eating any fruit. That's not good for you. So why don't you eat fruit on Tuesday and then you never have to eat it again? Of course, people say, okay, if I only have to eat it on Tuesday, I'll be fine. That doesn't require any big change. I'll go eat it on Tuesday. And then on Thursday, when I'm suffering from whatever the same issue is that, that was because I wasn't eating fruit, uh, you know, I ate the fruit and it didn't help. So obviously it doesn't work. Well, they say that the, one, of the bigger blo one of the blockers, the reason why this 50% aren't doing any usability testing, they, they say that um, cost, well, cost and complexity, but cost was the was the main reason of why they, they weren't doing it. So, so if you come to them and go, well, look, you know, with your size user base, you've got to do two hundred sixty thousand um, participants in usability testing to 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 be to cross the line. That's not going to help their the the blockers and the reason why they're not doing it at all. Okay. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> I, I I I mean. If they want to find a reason to not do it, they will continue to find reasons to not do it. You can't convince them to, to, to do usability testing based on this idea that uh, you'll find it painful, but we just only have to do a little. So, so how do we... Either they see the value or they don't see the value. So how... And so we're selling the wrong thing. And that's part of the problem of this. By sticking with these rules... We don't learn to actually sell the, the true value of what we do. We basically say, you don't see the value, but we're not going to cost you very much, so why not just do it anyways? Hmm. And that's, that's what's harming us. That's the, that's the real danger of these things, is this mentality that we don't have to learn how to actually sell the true inherent value. Because the value of usability testing is not based on the number of users. The value of usability testing is not based on the size of the report. 
the value of, of usability testing and user research as a whole is based on how it improves the engagement of the customers in the long run. But our, our community can't talk to that. We don't know how to talk to that. And because we don't know how to talk to that, we fall back on these, well, if you just throw the salt over your shoulder, you will keep the bad spirits away. It's the same superstition. And we are just as guilty of it as everybody else. So how do we, how do we communicate around this better? If we're, you know, if we're, if we're all kind of throwing salt over our shoulders so much and we're doing such a bad job of, of, of proving our worth, what, what do we need to do? We need to focus on what the business needs, what the organization needs. We keep trying to find these rules that are applicable everywhere in every situation. It's like saying, I'm going to give you one pill that will solve every health problem you ever have. That's what we keep looking for, is the magic pill. And the thing is, is that everybody's different, and everybody needs different medical care. And some people need a lot, and some people need a little. And some people need medical care because they have one type of metabolism, and they need completely different medical care because they have a different type of metabolism. Some people have genetic issues, other people don't. There is no unified medical solution that will just solve every problem. And there is no unified research process that will solve every organizational problem. And it can't be reduced to maxims and truisms. And we keep looking for that. And I understand why we desire it. It's because we don't have the ability to actually focus on the business side of things. Because we don't, we, people go into user research because they don't want to go into the business side. They want to focus on the users, on the customers. Right. They don't want to focus on the business. But this the business is symbiotic with the customer. If the business does not produce product or services, the customer gets nothing. If the business does not produce systems for the employees to work on, the employees don't have, can't do their job. There's a symbiosis, and we have to understand how the whole ecosystem works. We have to understand that, you know, in business, the only reason you can stay in business is if you make a profit. So now you have to, uh, now you have to, to focus on where does profit come from? Uh, you have to understand how the things you do and the designs you do and the research you do uh, helps you establish some type of profit which so we're saying really that is that we we have to be management consultants as well we have to be business consultants uh in in my case is if i'm a ux uh freelancer or self-employed i have to th i have to figure out the business before i even do the research right how many workshops at conferences go into the basics of business not yeah. many. Where are where are the 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 books from the UX publishers that map into uh, the business? What are the conversations where we talk about how research into customers is positioned to show that the business has opportunities that some could be easy and some could be really hard? We start to get into that 
when we get into things like service design. But we quickly then go back to post-its and wall charts and service blueprints and customer journey maps. And we stop talking about, well, okay, we could do all these things, but how much will they cost? And how much new revenue will the business see because of it? How much will the, will the customer base grow? And as a result, how much will we be able to sustain the business over the long term, particularly when market demand shifts or when a competitor comes on the scene, uh, so that we can rethink and we can redo what we're doing? And this is the thing. Almost all of my work these days is teaching design leaders how to exist in a business context. I haven't done any actual design-related work in a really long time because that's not where the value is. The value is in saying, okay, you want to do these things. How are you going to get the business to listen to you? Uh, I was talking with somebody the other day, and they called me up. They said, what we want you to do is come in and teach us Behavioral research techniques. We want you to teach us how to do contextual inquiry and field studies and how to synthesize the data. And I started talking to them. And I said, you know, you guys know what you want. Why are you coming to me? Well, you know, turns out that, that we do a lot of stuff, but the, the, our clients, you know, our, our business partners are not listening to us. They're not, they're not taking our recommendations. I said, okay, if I were to come in and do what you ask, and we did a fantastic job, and you got everything you needed, and then, let's say, a year after that, you produce amazing work, and the business appreciates it, what would be different? And they said, well, the organization, you know, whenever people in our on the business side need to make decisions, they would understand why UX is important, and they would come and consult with us before they make the decision. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that thing that consultants, that designers do when they, when someone comes in and says, here's the solution I want. And you start asking questions and you find out what the real problem is. I'm going to tell you that the solution you want isn't going to get you what you want, Mm. that you actually have to solve the problem a different way. Because A, you don't want everybody coming to you for every little decision because that makes you a bottleneck. And you damn well better be right on every decision or they're just going to never listen to you again. And the other thing is, is that the reason they're not coming to you today isn't because your methods aren't good. The reason they're not coming to you today is because you don't have good design literacy in your organization. What are you doing to improve design literacy? And that changed the whole conversation for them. And... They don't need advanced skills. They need everybody to have basic skills. Yeah, I, I, that's a completely different approach. And I think, I think this is you know, we put all this um, focus and effort um, into into users, um, and but really they're just one actor in in our bigger story, and and all of these in, you know, internal characters and stakeholders, you know, we we, we don't do enough research uh, and enough understanding. Um, about what drives them and and how they respond to to what their needs are 
Um, so we, you know, we, 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 we shipwreck ourselves designing for the end user because all those little islands of rocks on the way, we know nothing about. They're not charted. They actually are charted. We're just doing our best to not pay attention to the charts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we are just hoping that the gods will, will, will smile on us and, and give us the path. And, and that hasn't worked for, for a good 2,000 years. You know, the gods stopped smiling on us a long time ago. We sort of have to take responsibility for our own actions at this point. I think that's an excellent note and, to end on. We need to take responsibility for our own actions. <laughs> <laughs> there you the go. Wise words to finish on. Yeah. Put, that on your t- put that on your to-do list. Yes. <laughs> put that on your to-do list for today. I love the, I love the way that this, uh, the turn that this discussion took, actually. Thank you for that, Jared. And uh, we'll actually be talking to you again quite soon. Uh, we'll be welcoming you, welcoming you to Stockholm. I think you're talking at From Business to Buttons uh, in mm-hmm. May. I am. I'm talking about uh, business maturity, mm. I think. Right. And so, we'll get to chat face to face. Yeah. So you've got to, you've got to save something mm. to speak to us about then. Okay. Well, I'm sure something will piss me off. <laughs> I'm I, sure I, it will. I don't doubt for a second, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this with us and see you soon. Thank you for, for being as awesome <laughs> as you always are. Keep, keep doing the good Thank work. Thank you. So I, I agree with Jared that NPS is incredibly misused and, and broken metric. But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maintain that there's, there's an underlying need, a problem space, that the NPS is just doing a bad job to solve. I mean, there's, there's, there's loads of situations where yeah. we get, I mean, we throw it into the... What, what, Jared, what Jared called desire, I guess. Yeah. He said desire, yeah. And we're throwing this, I mean, we're throwing MPS but, into the mix yeah. as a kind of tool metric, as a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we need to uh, apply our design thinking better in this situation, in fact, in all aspects of our work. Um, you know, our friend Chris McCann the other day, he brought up the fact that John Kolker, um, when he's designing his course he teaches, he uses the methods he teaches to design it. And I think mm. this is a situation where that's, a, that, that's also applicable. It's like, you know, what are the underlying issues? Can we use our UX powers to kind of dig beneath the surface and understand the true you know, situation? What do these people, what are they trying to, to, to achieve? And can we design something that's better? I'm not saying replace it. I'm not saying have another metric. I'm saying... You're saying understand the problem, understand the underlying problem, and then we can talk about it. Yeah, and because and clearly MPS is, is, is not right, it's not working. But I don't think kind of brushing it aside and saying we don't need it, we should, have, we should just do this, this instead, that doesn't really help us understand you know, the real issues at play. And we need to start communicating, well, like Jared has started doing, communicating the issues and the problems with it so that we can start maintaining these, these discussions. Because for me, that is what I'm taking away from this. There, there's so many things we are trying to do as UXers all the time to find these shortcuts mm-hmm. to, to information, but the information then is faulty. And uh, I don't think we did summarize what the, the I mean, the, the 5 to 8 user problem was in, in the podcast, really. But for me, it is if you find, if you don't find, enough data with five to eight users, but you told your client five to eight users is enough, but you don't find enough data uh, to make any significant changes that create immediate value, then the client will never again see the benefit of doing <laughs> testing. They'll hate it because they literally just say, 
it didn't mm. work. So we're yeah. not doing and, it. And that, I mean, we didn't talk about we didn't talk about this today, but we've talked about it before. This is, I think, the advantage of hypothesis-led um, um, design. That that yeah. if you do have hypotheses, then your testing gives you a result either way. Mm. So you mm. you don't go back to the client with nothing because it didn't show up usability issues because you will have hypotheses that you validated if nothing comes back. Exactly. But either way, we... And the other thing with the business mm. thing, that we really need to start getting our act together with, with the whole thing of that what Jared was saying, that we need to understand the business because if we don't, we're just doing art, really. <laughs> go, go out and say that because we're, our job is not to make things have higher conversions. We don't make interfaces more easier, more easy to use. And the value we bring is innovation and sustainability and, and impact, like the, the bigger themes of what a business mm. is. And that's what we need to communicate better. We need to communicate yeah. better on in all aspects of the work we do, um, not not just to kind of the to the programmers we work in the teams with, or your product leader, or pro, um, you know, your product manager or whatever. You need to, we need to communicate more successfully to the business parts. Um, of organizations, organizations too, or the leadership parts of organizations. If you're in a, a, a public sector organization, yeah, and we're not, and we're not trained for that really, uh, as an as industry. No, exactly. That's what what the point was that Jared was saying. Also, at conferences, when we go to conferences, where are the business workshops? Where do we learn about finance? Where do we learn how businesses mm. work, so that we can use that competence or knowledge? Mm in mm. our design work. Which is a good point and leads us to a, a second point there to finish off on that. How do you how do you get the desire amongst designers to be even interested in that? We need to sell Very we good. we not only need to sell what we do to business, we need to sell just this particular concept to our in, our own industry to make them interested of knowing more about it. And that's a great follow up question to Jared in May. Thank you for joining us today. Links and notes from this episode can be found on uxpodcast.com. Please add us to your podcasting client of choice if you haven't already done so. And if you have some good comments, suggestions, answers to points that we've raised today, then um, please go ahead and email us at um, hey at uxpodcast.com. That's with a Y or a J. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Who's there? Britney Spears. Britney Spears who? Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. Oh, jeez.